Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Awesome, awesome. It's so, I'm so happy to be with you guys, and, and like we've been saying this whole service, if, if you, this is your first time joining us, just thank you so much for, for choosing to be a part of worshiping Christ and learning from His Word with us this morning. I um, want to just give a shout out before we begin again to mothers. Thank you so much for what you guys do. Ladies, in general, um, you guys are awesome, and really, you allow us to be guys, um, because we miss a lot of things, do a lot of dumb things, so thank God for you, um, literally and uh, practically. So, <laughs> thank you so much. My mom's in here. Mom, thank you for, uh, I mean, really, the only reason that, that I've been in this church my whole life is because my mom brought me since I was a baby, so thank you uh, for doing that. Uh, so, thank you to the moms. Um, for the last, uh, I think, like, year and a half or so, We've been walking through the book of Romans. Jeff has been teaching uh, majority of the time. The other guys have gotten up here and done some too. But what we've been doing, what we like to do at First Baptist Church is expositorily preach the word. And that's taking a book of the Bible or a passage or, or something and just walking verse by verse through it and just seeing what God's word has to tell us. You know, it's not taking our opinions, the opinion of whoever's behind this pulpit, and saying, hey, this is what I think. This isn't a soapbox for political issues. This is a place where we come and we open up God's Word and we say, this is what God's Word says. How does that apply to our life? And that's what we're about here at First Baptist Church. And we're, we're getting close to finishing Romans. It's, I think it's been about a year and a half. I probably should have asked before I said that. Um, but we're, we're getting to Romans 15. We've got two chapters left. So we're going to continue in Romans if you want to open your Bibles there and get ready in Romans 15. But I want to do a quick review before we start of Romans 14. Really quick, nothing, nothing long, but just so, just so we remember where we're at. We spent the last three weeks in Romans chapter 14, and really the context of that whole chapter, if you just break it down, is liberty in Christ, right? Most of you, I, I'm sure, have been here for at least one, maybe all three of those weeks, but really if you haven't, the context and really what the entire chapter of Romans 14 is talking about is liberty in Christ. And I love how Pastor Ryan put it last week whenever he was breaking down the last portion of Romans chapter 14. And he said this, is your liberty a stumbling block to others? Or are you a stepping stone to others? That's what it's about. Are we tripping our brothers up because we're flaunting our liberty, even though it might not be a sin in itself? Are we being a stumbling block, or are we being a stepping stone? Are we helping those that, that are weaker in the faith or less mature grow and be edified and get to where God wants them to be? I, I love that illustration that you use, stumbling block or stepping stone, because it really just sums up the issue of Romans chapter 14. So check out with me, go back to Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, because really that, that's where we began on this issue of liberty and personal preference in areas and, and judging people based on those. And what he says, he starts off this little essay on liberty, Paul says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, and he says, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. The chapter starts off with the idea of receiving those that are weaker in the faith. And that's what he goes on to talk about. He gives some specific examples. He, he, he talks about different things, but the entire context is receive those that are weaker in the faith. Regardless of any liberty that you may have, he, he does let us know that those of us that may be more mature than others, you have some liberty. Not everything in life is listed in the Bible in black and white. Do this, don't do this. You have some liberty and freedom in Christ. Thank God, right? 
I mean, whenever he saved us, he took those shackles off of us, the shackles of sin, the shackles of the law, like it talks about in Galatians, that schoolmaster. We don't have to live by those anymore. Thank God that we have liberty and freedom in Christ because we all have individual personalities. And that's awesome. That makes, that's what makes the body of Christ beautiful and, and unique. And that's awesome. But then he also goes on to say, but, 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 that doesn't mean that you can just take your liberty and use it so extravagantly and so lavishly that it screws up the faith of younger believers. And if you remember, if, if, if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, please go on the website, listen to the last three weeks, because it's, it's very clear when you go throughout Romans 14 that you don't take something that you have because God made you free and, and trip someone else who's not quite as where you are yet, you know? And that's the context of Romans chapter 14. The idea that he's trying to convey is that regardless of personal preference in a gray area, we're to receive others. That's the point of Romans chapter 14. And this is the context that we need to consider and keep in mind as we go into Romans 15 because it doesn't just stop abruptly and he starts a brand new thought. He actually continues and we're gonna see Paul continue in his thoughts on liberty and receiving one another. And we're actually, what we're gonna see today is what we're gonna call the progression of reception. Receiving one another isn't necessarily something you just up and do. I, I know some of us, we, we might have a hard time receiving somebody who, who just isn't the same as us, you know? They, they don't necessarily have the same personal preferences as us, but you know what? It's a progression, and we're gonna see Paul explain that in Romans chapter 15, verses one through seven. So if you'll open up there, if you're not already there, we're gonna read those first seven verses, and then we'll dive in. Chapter 15 and verse one. God says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So do you see, do you see how the context of Romans 14 doesn't just disappear? It, it's, it's extremely evident that he is, is continuing the same thought. Sometimes we, we need to think about this, all right? This is God's word, all right? Every word of God is pure, and it is everything that he wants for us to have. But historically, God used a human author to write it down. And Paul wrote this book of Romans in a letter to the church in Rome. It's written in a letter format, and the chapters and verses weren't added until much later. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God had nothing to do with that. That, that's a different discussion for another time. I, I firmly believe God had everything to do with the chapter and verse divisions in our Bible. But historically, when he wrote this as a letter, he didn't say, okay, end of chapter 14, verse, or chapter 15, new thought. That's not what he did. He continues, look at verse one again. He says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. He's continuing in this conversation about liberty. And sometimes, I'm not saying this is bad, but sometimes we read verse one of chapter 15 and we kind of divorce it from the context. And so we might preach something that says like, those who are physically strong, we need to bear the physical infirmities of the weak. 
that are physically weak, right? Or we might say those that are financially strong bear the financial infirmities of those that aren't as financially strong. And that's not a bad thing. That doesn't disagree with anything that God says. But contextually, it's not what he's talking about. We then that are strong in the faith ought to bear the infirmities of the weak in the faith. That's what we've been talking about for the last chapter. Go back to Romans 14 verse 1. Those that are weak in the faith. So he gets done talking and describing about all that. And then he says, we then, he's continuing the thought that our strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's what he's talking about here. Those of us that are strong in the faith, bearing the infirmities of those that are weak in the faith. And that's point number one, bearing the infirmities of the weak. So what we're going to see here in Romans 15, 1 through 7, is Paul giving us a really good summary of why he went into this whole subject of liberty in the last chapter. And we then, you just those two words, it shows how much importance God places on words. Because if you take out we then, you might be able to say it's a completely different thought, but it's not. It's a continuation. We then is a, is a cause and effect phrase, right? So, so everything we just talked about, conclusively, we then... Now the reason I've said all this, Paul says, is this. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's the, kind of the conclusion of the entire chapter is these next seven verses. Bearing the infirmities of the weak. Now what does this mean? What, what does that mean? What's that look like? Well, the word bear literally defined just means to sustain or to endure or to carry. Um, it's not, contextually, it's not the big fuzzy guy um, who eats people, I've heard, um, in the forest, but it's, it's to carry, to sustain, or to endure. And we can see that in Scripture. If we go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 27, Christ is telling those, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you have to do. Look at F- Luke 14, 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Christ says you need to bear your cross if you want to be my disciple. That should ring a bell in your head. Remember Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when Christ says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Bear just means to carry, to take up, to endure. endure. And Christ has every right to say that, right? John chapter 19, we see Christ doing exactly what he commanded us to do. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Christ bore his cross, which is really our cross, right? So to bear is to carry, it's to sustain or to endure. And that's what he's talking about here. Just as we are to pick up our cross, to bear it, to endure it, we are to bear the infirmities of those that are weak in the faith. That's what we're talking about here. And infirmities, it's just literally defined. It it can mean a specific disease or sickness in the scripture, or just more generally, it can just mean a weakness or imperfections, right? So, I mean, often you'll see in the scripture infirmities as a reference to sin, which, I mean, that makes sense because sin is both a disease and a weakness and an imperfection. So we're to bear the weaknesses or the imperfections of the weak. So quite literally, we ought to carry the weaknesses of the weak, That's what Paul's saying. And in context, what what do you think those weaknesses might be? Don't don't forget about Romans 14. What are the the weaknesses or those those liberty areas, those gray areas? If you remember Paul talking about the the meat offered to idols, and he says, listen, that's not a sin in and of itself. But you know, if you have a younger brother in Christ or sister who just came out of paganism back in those times, 
and they see you eating meat that was offered to pagan gods, that's not a sin, but that trips them up. Don't do that. Don't do that. We need to bear their weaknesses, their infirmities, because you're stronger in the faith. Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's the same concept. It's the same concept, bearing the weaknesses or the burdens of our brothers and sisters. And both of these contextually are talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And it's really interesting that Paul says that, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says it right at the end of a book that is primarily written about legalism. You guys know what legalism, right? It's, it's taking a personal opinion or a preference on a, on a gray matter that Christ doesn't delineate right or wrong with. It's, it's just a personal preference. Enforcing that opinion or preference on, on other people as if it's law or doctrine. So at the end of a book where Paul is talking about Judaizers coming in and telling Gentiles, hey, you got this Christ thing, that's okay. But what you really need to do is be circumcised like us Jews. So this book, this dissertation on legalism, he ends it by saying, bear ye one another's burdens. Those that are weak in the faith, bear those because you're stronger. That's what we're talking about here in Romans 15. So fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? James 2.8 says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. So this law of Christ is what we see back in Mark chapter 12 where Christ says love God and love people, right? Let's look at that really quick. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came and and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, Christ is who we're talking about, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So this guy's seeking to trip Jesus up, right? Because there's lots of commandments in the Old Testament. He says, which one's the best? Verse 29, Jesus answered him and said, the first commandment, of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And he doesn't stop there. He says, And the second is like it, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So the great commandment, love God, love people, this is the law of Christ. And that is what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to love our neighbors so much that we bear their weaknesses. We put them above ourselves and we make them a priority over our liberty. That's what Romans 14 is talking about and that's what Romans 15, 1 is continuing in thought. Why does Christ want us to do this? Because it's all about putting others above ourselves just like he did. Rather than selfishly pursuing our own desires, we seek to pleasure our neighbor instead. We seek to please them instead of us, right? That's what this is talking about. So go back to Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That makes sense, right? Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So now we see the edification of others. The edification of others. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. The entire reason for the strong in the faith bearing the infirmities of those that are weak in the faith is for their edification. It's to build them up. That's the point of it. And when we care more about our liberty than our brothers and sisters in Christ, it doesn't build them up. What does it do? It tears them down. Because we're placing our own personal and fleshly, maybe, desires above the priority of loving our neighbor and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not what Christ called us to do. 
It's the opposite of edifying when we do that. It's actually destructive. It can be destructive to their faith. We're called to bear their infirmities and their weaknesses. He talks about that in the previous chapter. Look at Romans 14, verse 14. Paul says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him is unclean. Jeff talked about that a few times. Listen, that might not be a sin in and of itself, but if you have a history with it, make a law to yourself. You can't go there because it leads you to sin. That's what we're talking about. Verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, that liberty, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for, for whom Christ died. That, that, that meat that we were talking about was the example, the specific example of liberty in Christ. And he says, when you place that liberty above the importance of loving your brother and sister to edify them and to build them up, you're destroying them. And he says, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Because you know what? Christ didn't only die for us. He didn't only die for you. He died for the person beside you. And we need to look out for them. We can't just go about our business doing whatever liberty we want if it's destroying the brothers and the sisters in Christ. That's not what we're called to do. Verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. God says in chapter 14, don't destroy others with your liberty because Christ died for them too. Listen, they may be young and they may be weak in their faith. I'm not saying physically, but, but in their faith, they might be young. They might be less mature than you, but our job is to build them up and to edify them and to help them along, to grow them, right? That's the point of discipleship. Grow up the young believers who, who are recently saved. Show them how to live life. It's parenting. It's what it is. So, I mean, an illustration, think about this. You would never just yell at your infant for not being able to feed themselves, right? That doesn't make any sense. You hand them a fork and a knife and you say, and they're not doing anything. It's like, well, fine. If you're not gonna cut up and eat your brisket by yourself, then, I mean, I guess you don't wanna eat. And then, I mean, that's, I, I went to Sammy Sue's on Friday. That's why I was thinking brisket. Um, but, but that doesn't make any sense, right? Well, spiritually, that doesn't make any sense either. They're young in the faith. They're weak. So you don't just go around chewing on your meat that you can do and make them be like, well, are we allowed to do that? Don't be a stumbling block. Be a stepping stone. We're to edify others, not tear them down. So we see the edification of others, and if we keep reading, we see the example of Christ. Paul uses Christ as an example for how we should do this. Look at verse three. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The, the point of verse four, if you're a Bible student, you probably recognize that. We use that to prove that God used pictures and prophecies in the Old Testament to show us and to teach us and to reveal stuff to us in the New Testament. And that's why he puts that in there to see, listen, the reason I'm quoting the Old Testament is that you can see even Christ lived this way. It's not just Paul talking, this is God talking. And he quotes Psalm 69.9. Let's go there. Psalm 69.9 is what he quotes. And he says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. This is David speaking, and he writes this psalm. And historically, it's him talking, but prophetically, this is referring to Christ. The first part, 
for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You'll probably recognize that from John chapter two, whenever he goes into the temple and there's all the money changers and he makes a whip and he starts going crazy and chasing all the money changers out and says, my house is a house of prayer. And then, I think it's, uh, it's verse 17, the disciples, they're reminded of Psalm 69, nine, where it says, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. It's a direct reference. These things that were written before were written for our learning. And so that we can see this example of Christ. And the reproaches of them, which would be us, that reproached God, they fell on Christ. And they should have fell on us. But Christ took those infirmities, he took those burdens, and he bore them. And that's the example that we have. A reproach just means shame or contempt. So what Christ did, although he was perfect, he bore our imperfections. He bore our shame and our contempt and our reproaches. And they fell on him, and he bore them. And that's the example that we have. We're called to do that, Christian. That's what Paul, that's what Christ says. And so just like physically Christ bore the reproaches and the infirmities of all of us, we're called to do the same thing. This first point, bearing the infirmities, guys, it's in action. It's more of a physical thing. It it really is because, you see, Christ did that. He physically bore our burdens on Calvary. Right? When he took our sins and our imperfections and he placed them on himself and he bore them for us, it's a thing that you do. And that's what we're called to do. So it might mean, I don't know, going specifically, it might mean that you stop doing something that's a stumbling block to others. I don't know. It, you gotta look at your own life. Ask God to, to, to look into your heart. What, what do you maybe need to stop doing to be a stumbling block to others? Maybe there's something you need to start doing to be a stepping stone and to edify the brothers and sisters. I don't know, but it's something that we need to do. It's, it's physical, it's an action. And this is the first step in this progression towards receiving one another. And it's really, it's an easier step too because it's something that we just do. You know, you don't even have to have your, your attitude and your heart completely right. You just gotta do it because God said to, you know? Kind of like, I, I remember when I had Miss Judy back in the little kids over here when I was little, they taught us how to our, obey our parents. And they said, you don't just obey your parents, you obey them immediately, exactly, and with the right heart attitude, right? Because if my mom tells me to clean my room and I go and kick in and, and throw in stuff in the toy box and in the closet, I obeyed her technically, but I didn't have the right attitude, right? And this is something that we can do at first. We might not understand how or why we need to bear the infirmities of the weak, but we can just do it because he told us to. You know, the attitude will come as we go further into this progression. But right now, we just need to start by doing what he said because we're supposed to obey what God tells us to do, right? So that's the first step in this progression. Let's keep going. Check out Romans 15, verse five. God says, now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we need to look at something. We need to clear something up here. What he's not saying in, in Romans fifteen five. look at it again. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. This isn't a passage, this isn't a verse that's saying, listen, you need to be like-minded one toward together, so that means you need to ditch any beliefs that you had that separate you from others. This isn't a verse on crazy tolerance towards weird doctrines. No, it's not saying that. It's saying be like-minded one toward another, 
according to Christ. He just got done telling us the example of Christ, and he says, now you be like-minded with Christ. We need to have that same mindset, that same mind that Christ has in this situation. One toward another, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. That's what he's saying. He's continuing his thought. So what's the point about, what's the point of that? Well, what he's saying is it's not just enough to physically bear the infirmities of the weak. That's important and we need to do it, but that's, we shouldn't just stop there because we must also have a change of mind as well. We need to have a mind change so that we become like-minded with Christ. It's more than just doing now. It's actually having the same mind as Christ. What is this mind of Christ? It's not pleasing ourselves. It's edifying other people. It's placing your brothers and sisters at a higher priority than ourselves. That's the example of Christ, right? That's what he did on Calvary. That's what he did for us. He put us above himself, and that's what we're called to do. We should have this mind. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. The mind of Christ is being a servant and serving others. Christ says, I I, I didn't come to be a king over people and to order them around. I, I came to be a servant of all right, and to serve others, and to place them at a higher priority than myself. That's the example that we have, and it's okay to just start by just doing it. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Just start obeying God, because he says to bear the infirmities of the weak. Just start doing that, and even though, I don't know, we might not be happy about it at first, but we just do it to obey our Father, and then eventually we progress to this point where we understand why we're doing it right? That's, and then we'll have a mind change. We see people the way that Christ does. We see their strengths, and we see their weaknesses, and we have this mind change. We start by doing, but then we start to understand. Our mind changes to resemble Christ, and we, we desire to please others. We desire to place our brother and our sister above ourselves. That's what we need to get to. That's what we need to progress to, But because when you finally desire to do this, you'll become like-minded with Christ. So how do we do that, practically? What's that look like? How do we do this? Look at verse four again. We're gonna go back a verse. Check this out. This is really cool. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Anyone know what consolation means? It just means comfort. It means comfort. So what he says is that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Verse five, now the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded. Anybody see what just happened there? He gives us the how. It's through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures that God grants us to be like-minded with Christ. That's how we do it. Are you spending time daily in the word? Are you asking God to just so consume your mind and to renew your mind that you just see the world as he sees it? Because that's how we have a transformed mind, right? That's how it happens. It's through the scriptures that we become like-minded with Christ. First 
Corinthians 2.16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You might say, but don't we already have the mind of Christ? 1 Corinthians 2 says that. We do. And if you're saved today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And because of that, you have access to the mind of Christ. But how do we go about making our minds more like Christ? Brothers and sisters, we have the mind of Christ. And so many times we leave it sitting gathering dust on our bookshelf. And we don't open it up and try to make our minds like his. We need to do that. We need to Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, right? Middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults, moms, dads, grandparents, we need to not be conformed to this, this world, but what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's how we do it through the scripture. We become like-minded with Christ. That's how we, we have the mind of Christ. We have God's word, and it is through the reading and the meditating on of the scriptures that we obtain the mind of Christ, that we become like-minded with him. That's how we do it. So why? Why should we do that? What's the result of bearing the infirmities of the weak and being like-minded with Christ? Well, it's verse six. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we do this? Why should we bear the infirmities of the weak? Why should we take the time to study the scriptures and become like-minded with Christ? Because now we can do what we're supposed to do to glorify God. Get this, if we're all like-minded with Christ, inevitably, we'll all be like-minded with one another, right? That's what's gonna happen. It's a progression. If we all, every single person, every single member of First Baptist Church becomes like-minded with Christ, we'll all be like-minded together because we have the same mind. We have Christ's mind. And it makes doing our job easier. Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When we're all like-minded with Christ, we're able to do the work that we're supposed to do. It makes our job easier because we all have the same vision, the same goal, the same mind. And it makes striving for the gospel, it makes evangelism and edification and discipleship and soul winning, it makes it easier because we're all working together, fitly framed, as the body of Christ is supposed to be, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's the end game. That's the end game of receiving one another and bearing the infirmities of the weak and and obtaining the mind of Christ. It all happens easier when we're like-minded with Christ. And why is that? Why does it become easier? Because we don't have to waste time arguing about dress code, right? and waste time arguing about worship style and and these things that are in my ears, whatever they're called. We don't have to waste time arguing about that kind of stuff because we all have the same goal and the same vision and the same point of being here to do the gospel and to reach the world with the gospel and to show the world that there's good news. And we don't have to worry about our ladies wearing slacks or dresses. We don't have to worry about that stuff because it doesn't matter. In the long run, what matters is the big picture, and the gospel is the big picture. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. He's talking to the brothers. 
but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When we have the mind of Christ, and we all have the mind of Christ, we'll see the big picture. We'll focus on the end game, and that's glorifying God. It's doing what he left us on this planet to do. He didn't save you and take you away, and he didn't rapture you immediately because he left you here with a job. He left you here to share that good news that you received with the lost person down the street or in the cubicle next to you. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to do. And if we as a body are like-minded and we share the mind of Christ, we can do that job together easier. It makes the body of Christ work like it's supposed to because we share the mind of Christ. That's the next step. Getting from just doing it because we're told to do it to actually obtaining the mind of Christ and, and, to, and to become like-minded with him. That's the next step. And once we've done this, we truly will begin receiving one another. That's point three, receiving one another. So we go from bearing the infirmities of the weak to becoming like-minded with Christ to receiving one another. Verse seven, wherefore, for this reason, Receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receiving is more than bearing. It is. It, it's, it, it, I don't know, on an English dictionary, it might say that they're synonyms, guys. But receiving is more than bearing. Bearing def- defined is to endure, to sustain, or to carry. Receiving defined, it's acceptance. It's embracing. It's welcoming. You're not just enduring your brothers and sisters anymore. You're welcoming them as your own. You're accepting them. You're embracing them. And this is where the progression ends up. We start by doing, and then we have a mind change like Christ, and then we have a change of heart. And our heart becomes like Christ's heart. And we have the same passions as he does, and we have the same desires as he does. That's the point. No longer are we just blindly obeying God because maybe it's religious or morally correct or the guy behind the pulpit said it or even just because his words said it. We get to this point where we've had a complete change of mind and a change of heart to the extent that now we welcome and we accept and we embrace those who maybe before made our blood boil because they just annoyed us. I don't know. We go from just doing to a total change of heart to where we don't just endure our weaker brothers and sisters, we embrace them as our own. And we truly love our neighbor more than ourselves. And we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Love God and love people. That's what we ought to do, as Paul says in verse one. And again, same verse, verse seven, he gives us the example of Christ again. As Christ also received us to the glory of God. Not only did Christ physically bear our burdens on the cross, he did that. And not only did he desire to put us above himself. He did that too. He received us. He welcomed us. He accepted us. Those of us who were enemies with God because of our sin, he embraced us. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He received us while we were the enemies of God because of our sin, Christian, We were separated from God. We were enemies. We were on different sides of the battlefield and he received us anyway. That's the example Paul gives us. Be like Christ. Colossians 1.21 And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. 
We were enemies with God. We were at odds with God because of our own free will choice to sin. Listen, if you're in here today and, and maybe this is your first time here or, or, or you're just new to this whole church or Christianity thing, listen, what God has done for you is reconciled you or given you the opportunity to be reconciled. Because, listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, because of your sin, you are separated from him because God is holy and he is just and he is perfect and he can't dwell with sin. And because of that, if we die without Christ in our heart, we are eternally separated from him in a very real place that was never designed for us. Hell was designed for the devil and his angels, but because of our sin and our, our deliberate choosing to disobey the God who loves us and created us, because of that, we're destined to spend eternity separated from him by our own choice. But listen, you have the same choice today because God, even though we were enemies, he loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son into the world to die on the cross and whosoever believes in him and confesses him and puts their faith in his shed blood, they can have eternal life. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God. That's what you need to know today. Because while we were enemies with God and completely at odds with him, he received us by making a way for us to be with him. And that's through the cross of Calvary. And if you decide today, you can do it right now. You can put your faith in Christ. The Bible says if you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ died for you, you can be saved because whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God receives everyone. And that is exactly what he calls us to do. We're supposed to take that brother that even though they're saved, we might have completely different preferences or opinions on some things that don't matter. They're gray areas. They're not that big of a deal. And even though we're at odds, we're supposed to be like Christ. We receive them. We embrace them. We welcome them. We accept them. Because that's what he's told us to do. It's laying aside our own personal desires and liberties and preferences and loving people the way that Christ did the way that he loved you and I. And now, when you do that, you gain the mind of Christ. And then you have a change of heart to where you receive your brothers and sisters because you have that same mind. You have that same heart that Christ has. And now we see this come full circle. Go back to Romans chapter 14 where he starts this dissertation on liberty. Romans 14 verse one. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. God has received him. The explanation for this whole thing on liberty in gray areas and judgment is this, receive those whom God has already received. Don't let there be divisions among you about stupid stuff that doesn't matter. That's what he's telling to us today. Receive your brothers and sisters because Christ received them. And he's our example that Paul lists twice in Romans 15, one through seven. Receive those whom God has already received. They might be different than you. They might look different than you. They might like different movies or music, whatever. Receive them because God has 
Because when they were enemies and separated from God, he accepted them, right? And when they mocked and they spat on him and they nailed him to a cross, he died for them. And when they got on their knees and they cried out and they begged for God's forgiveness, he embraced them, just like you and I. And we're called to receive the brothers and sisters because God received them just as much as he received us. And he is our ultimate example. Just like you and I, we ought to do this as well. We ought to receive the brothers. We ought to receive those who may be weaker or less mature in the faith. And that is the progression that God gives us of reception. When we do this and we progress and we decide I'm doing this just because God told me and then, you know what, I understand now and I'm saturating my mind with the mind of Christ and getting into his word and trying to get his heartbeat and you obtain his desires and his vision and his goals, your heart changes to be more like his. And we'll receive the brothers because the last thing we're worrying about is that person who annoys me now. I'm worrying about how can we work together to fulfill the Great Commission, to preach the gospel to every creature. How can we do that together? Because that's the body of Christ. That's what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.